Welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeart, and others. Please interact with us online. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share our content. We'd love to hear from you. Today, our guest is Mr. Jim Littlefield Dalmaris. He's Director of Market Development for the local BNI region. And uh, it's uh, good to have you here, Jim. David, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the podcast. One of the many reasons I wanted to have Jim on is because he's a great guy. He's an associate in the BNI group, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit uh, a little bit later. But he's also a client of mine, and he's um, involved in several other things that I think are interesting, too. Uh, um, you're here to talk about uh, a book that you're writing. Is that right? That's Yeah, definitely. I'm well, working on a project right now. Well, let's talk about that. What's the name of the book? What's the theme? What inspired you to do it? I'm doing research right now, so I don't have a name yet, but I okay. know one will come. What inspired me to do it, and it kind of relates to my day job right now with the work I do with BNI, is I uh, was drawn to work. I've been used to work in the nonprofit sector before I worked for BNI. I worked, did that for about 23 years. And while I was doing that, um, I worked with, as you can imagine, I used to work for the local United Way. Mm -hmm. And I worked with a lot of nonprofits that helped all kinds of different people, homeless agencies, women's shelters, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I remember a particular agency, the Cerebral Palsy Kids Center, and a man by the name of Dave Raymer, who was their executive director, I used to bring him in as one of our speakers. Like if I was talking to a group of employees, trying to advocate for them to donate to the annual drive he would come in and tell the stories about the kids with disabilities they helped. Mm. Well, little did I know that I would one day need his help. So uh, my daughter is now 22, Sophia, but she was born at 26 weeks. Oh, wow. A pound and a half. I'll never forget. I actually used to work at United Way, and I was on the planning committee for the annual staff retreat. You know, we were going to go off site, hold hands, sing Kumbaya, do all that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And I got a phone call, and they said, you need to meet your wife at at the at the hospital wow. now this was the first prenatal visit where i hadn't been able to go with her like we had this retreat the next day and i said honey i really got to be at this meeting call me when you're done well they had me meet her there and what happened is she had preeclampsia or toxemia and a few days later we met sophia we were not ready she was due in june she was born in march um, luckily for us she was pretty mild uh, in terms of her uh, challenges. She has cerebral palsy on the mild level, so it kind of impacts one side of her body and the way she walks and things like that. But we were kind of thrown into this world. So the book project is a result of my experience in the in the beginning with Sophia, but then I actually went to work for the Kids Center. So after I had been a client, I was kind of in a transition mode and went to work building their marketing and development department. So I was there for about a decade. And as part of my job, I got to know the families. I was the person who was telling the story of the kids center. So I would sit down with a family and learn about their child, learn about their journey. And it was one of the most favorite parts of my job. And looking back, it's like, there's really no manual for being a parent. Well, there's a lot of good parenting books out there, but you know, there's no, no one manual. There's definitely not a manual. If you have a child that's born facing a disability, like you're thrust into this world that you never imagined being a part of, and it can be a little overwhelming. So the idea for the book is to, I, what I'm doing right now is a lot of research. I'm doing conversations like you and I are having with kids who grew up with a disability. They're now in their 20s or 30s with parents who have are raising kids with a disability, uh, with physicians, with therapists, and just saying, if you had to give somebody advice that had this brand new world they're thrust into, what would you tell them? What are the keys to success? Mm. And so I'm building that research to hopefully put together a book that I think is going to be not so much nuts and bolts. There's so many different things. Obviously, raising a child on the spectrum with autism is very different than raising a child with Down syndrome, but there's some commonalities. And so mm. I'm hoping the book has some big rocks that everybody can really relate to, but maybe even some practical tips. You know, I think I heard somebody say once that smart people learn from their own mistakes geniuses learn from the mistakes of others, mm -hmm. right? So I'm hoping this book, and I've been getting really good response. So when I do the interviews, most parents, most adults who grew up with a disability are like, I'm so glad you're doing this. I mm. think a lot of people could benefit. So it's, it's, it's exciting. 
Yeah, it sounds like the law of attractions at work there. You're having these interviews, you're telling people about your idea and your experience, and and things are kind of coming, kind of coalescing to reinforce your mission for doing this, right? Absolutely. And almost every person I talk to sends me to someone else. They're like, you know, you should really talk to so-and-so. They were a special ed teacher at my school. Mm -hmm. They were a therapist we work with. They really get it. And so I'm really working by referral. I'm getting one person leading me to two or three others. And that's not an accident given what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. That's great. You know, um, I've kind of had a similar experience with me on the, uh, on this podcast. I just, the thought occurred to me one day and I was like, I'm having interesting conversations with interesting people. I've always been fascinated by what people think and what they believe and why they think and believe it. I don't engage people in conversations to try to persuade them to my way of seeing things. I certainly advocate my opinion and why I have it or my, you know, my beliefs, my, my, my thoughts on things. I just always thought it was interesting. And, uh, every step along this process, things are just naturally kind of organically coalesced into place, um, to make the podcast what it is. And it's this point about six months into it, it's way ahead of schedule, which is really encouraging. So it's nice to hear someone else having a similar experience on something that's obviously near and dear to their heart in your case. Um, and also something, uh, you're going to produce your best work on something you're passionate about and that has a personal connection to yourself, right? Absolutely. So I wanted to throw that out there. I also want to throw something out there. Um, there's a big trend, uh, in, uh, the upper tiers of corporate America. Now you may or may not be familiar with this. We're kind of the running joke is among these really ultra successful corporate folks, particularly in the, in the tech spaces is, are you on the spectrum? Do you have ADHD? Do you have bipolar? Whatever it might be. And so once I learned about that, Elon Musk being probably the most prominent example of that, having Asperger's uh, on the spectrum, uh, is that it turns out that these so-called disabilities, when I was a kid, we called them awful things, like people are retards or stupid or idiots. That's terrible. Um, Now we have the autism spectrum. Now we have behavioral disorders, uh, other types of mood disorders, that, that kind of thing. And th- thank God we do. We have a science called psychology and psychiatry to help us understand that and treat it for what it is, a m- medical condition, right? Um, it turns out that those people that are ultra successful, a high percentage of those folks are on the spectrum somewhere or have ADHD or some other thing like that. And these people were t- able to take what was originally labeled as a disability and turn it into an asset, they can see things other folks don't. It forced them to navigate life a different way because they had to overcome this so-called disability. So if that helps you in your book and you've uh, also considered doing a podcast about it, right? I've had people suggest that, that there's so many stories and so many helpful things that hearing from those people might be a great. I'd love to help you with that in any way I can. One thing I want to throw out there is you know, don't just stop at telling someone they have a disability. Say you see things differently. That can be an asset if you learn how to understand it in its proper context, harness it, and use it to give yourself an advantage in the workforce or whatever you're trying to do in life. So I just wanted to throw that out there. A disability can be turned into an asset if understood and harnessed. Uh, We mentioned the podcast earlier. I think that's going to be great. I think that makes perfect sense because a book is great. I'm not knocking books, but there's something to an ongoing dialogue on a subject you know, a book, you start it, you finish it, maybe you read it once or twice more. But, you know, um, an ongoing dialogue uh, with people from all, all different backgrounds, people who are struggling with behavioral disorders or mental disabilities or physical disabilities, whatever it might be, uh, is only going to help you achieve your under, under, underlying mission, which I'm assuming is just helping people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that word and that uh, the thinking about people who are really differently abled. You know, yeah. disability is the word we're all familiar with, and that's the word that people can latch on to. But even when, when, when I was at the Kids Center, we came up with kind of a tagline for our work that was, we see the ability in disability. Nice. Kind of like if you take the word disability and just remove the first three letters, what are you left with? Mm-hmm. Ability. And everybody has both. You know, when you're a person who comes into a room in a wheelchair, the first thing people see is the wheelchair. So they labeled that disability what they don't see is you as a person, you know, and all that you bring to the world. So that's the other thing about this work is the common theme you'll hear from people is everybody has disabilities. You know, you might, for a person who comes in in a wheelchair, they see that as a disability. Someone else could walk into the room looking totally fine and they have extreme anxiety or they're really shy or, you know, they have other things, insecurities that hold them back. 
we all have disabilities. They're just not as visible and we all have abilities. So, you know, what, one of the things it would be a better world if people just saw people, not so much their ability or disability, you know, we're all really the same. Yeah. And just to encourage folks on a comment you made earlier about uh, geniuses learn from the mistakes of others. I've heard that worded a little bit differently. So I want to throw this out there for, for, uh, for the rest of 99.9% of the population that aren't geniuses, the way I heard it was wise people learn from the mistakes of others. There you go. So I want to give people out there hope. If you're not a genius, you can still be a wise person by learning from the mistakes I of like others. That. Yeah. So just a, a minor, uh, a minor uh, edit there to what you said. So going back to the uh, idea of doing a podcast on this, I just wanted to throw this out there. And we mentioned this later in the show is that uh, part of my mission for what I'm doing is to learn the process of developing, scripting, editing, producing, distributing a podcast and all the, uh, technical aspects that go into that from audio to video to editing and all that kind of thing, <clears throat> lighting, um, is to offer that as a service to people too, while I'm figuring it out. And I actually, I actually already have my first client. Fantastic. He ran across the podcast because we're friends on Facebook and he's like, wow, wow. I've been wanting to do something like that for a long time. This guy started his own, called me up and now we're doing business. We're trying to record our first episode of his podcast next week. That's awesome. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. If I can help you in any way, if it's just advice, great. If it's not, you want to hire me to help you with this or that, that that's great too. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention about the book slash podcast that uh, I want people to know? Well, obviously I'm taking referrals all the time. So if somebody hears this and they say, well, you know, I've got somebody in my family with a disability or uh, my nephew grew up with down syndrome and he would love to talk to you because he's got a unique perspective. I'm always looking for people that would want to uh, reach out to me and maybe want to be interviewed. Yeah. So for folks listening, if you are directly or someone, you know, indirectly has been impacted by, um, <clears throat> we're going to call them assets, not disabilities for moving forward. Uh, please reach out to Jim uh, through social media. This will be put, posted online. It'd be easy uh, for you to interact with him and reply to him. Uh, I really like the approach you're taking to this. You're not just saying this was my experience and this is my path. I figured out how to navigate it. You're contributing that to the project, but you're also bringing in the experiences of many other people and their paths, trying to find where those paths cross a little bit and their similarities, and then put that into one uh, one format that they, I, I think would also be, also, besides being um, uh, very helpful and comprehensive, it would also be relatable, right? Because there's going to be some folks out there that might have had a similar experience like yours, but they just don't relate to your style of figuring it out or how you dealt with it. But if you can bring in seven, eight, nine, or even, you know, 10 or more people, people's perspectives and their paths they took to get out of it, I think it's going to be all the more um, relatable and effective. So awesome. Yeah, it's really, really encouraging to hear you doing that. Um, let's kind of switch gears here to BNI. Um, I've been in BNI since 2009, I believe. I think you got me beat, right? I think so. Yeah, by maybe a year or two. Yeah, um, for my money, BNI is by far and away the greatest return on any, any type of investment financially and time-wise that I've done in the 22 years, 18 years that I've been in business. Um, I would assume you would agree with that, right? It's a really unique thing. I mean, in the world of, you know, when you think about BNI really attracts business owners or salespeople, the people that are charged with business development, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. And there's wonderful, you know, in today's world, there's so many online, digital marketing, all kinds of ways to market a business. But in the realm of networking and relationship building and working more by referral, I think the biggest thing BNI brings is to try to help teach people a real system, a proven system to work by referral. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I jokingly ask people all the time, how many of you get up in the morning loving to make cold calls. Yeah. And it's very few people. There's always a few strange ones out there that just love it uh, and they're good at it. But most people would much rather work by a referral because if you get introduced to somebody by referral, number one, you, it's a better use of your time because if you know that person is an actual qualified prospect, right, they're in the market for that need. But the referral sets it up in a way that there's an extension of trust from the person that recommended them. So the, the prospect, if you will, the person you're talking to, kind of lets their guard down and they just listen to what you have to say instead of thinking, I better put my defenses up. They're going to try to sell me something. Mm -hmm. You know, that's our natural instinct. And unfortunately, our experience is sometimes borne out that that's a good instinct, right? Sure. But in a referral setting, people are way more open. And most people that have a valuable product or service to offer, if they can get in front of somebody with that setup, 
it's a pretty easy thing, you know, because they have a solution, the person has a need. So yeah, the BNI thing of working by referral, it's really unique. It's, it takes work. You know, I think uh, you've probably heard this before. A lot of people in the BNI world, because it's a worldwide organization, say they call it network, mm-hmm. not net sit, not net eat, mm-hmm. right? You know, you have to put the work in, um, and, but it's all about relationships. It's this idea of building a circle of people that you can partner with, that you know, that you like, and that you trust, that are going to re- recommend you to their friends and family, you know, whether they're at the Bible study, whether at the soccer game, whether they're sitting down with a client they're going to hear something. They're going to hear a trigger, a need, mm-hmm. and they're going to say, you need to talk to my friend David with Reliable Tech Help. He's the IT guru. He'll help you out. And for you, that's invaluable, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody just recommending you like that and having you kind of top of mind. You can't buy that advertising. It's it's. I think it's really unique to build a network like that where you've got kind of this army of people that are going to recommend you anytime they find somebody who needs you. Yeah. And let's back up for those folks who may not be familiar with BNI. Um, just briefly, BNI is the largest networking type of its uh, largest networking group of its type in the world. How many tens of thousands of chapters globally? The number changes daily. So BNI, that's also every business has its lingo, right? It's an acronym for Business Networking International. It was started in Southern California about 37 years ago in 1985 by a guy named Dr. Ivan Meisner in Southern California. He had literally zero intention to start a worldwide organization. He wanted to pay his bills and feed his family, but he came into a situation where a major client uh, left the town. And so a big percentage of major clients are good unless they leave. Right. Mm -hmm. And then a large percentage of your revenue is gone and he had to fill his pipeline fast. And so he realized he was a consultant. So he, counseled other businesses on how to market and he knew referrals was the best way to do it he thought that's probably true for other people so he got a little group together kind of made a rule that defines bni that only one person per classification and the minute somebody wanted to join his little circle whose classification was already full that's how we got chapter number two so yes today fast forward 37 or so years later they're in about 80 countries changes daily about just shy of 11,000, I think 10,500 or so chapters, and just under 300,000, about 280,000 members worldwide who follow kind of a structured way to approach this world of working by referral. You know, lots of people can, quote, network. Lots of people can market. They kind of have a a networking for dummies, if you will, kind Mm -hmm. of like a system that you can follow that's more duplicatable. And so there's franchises all over the world. Our chapters in... Our market in Louisville, Southern Indiana, we're we're part of Middle Tennessee, Kentucky, and Southern Indiana. So we're a franchise representing about 80 chapters in our region. Yeah. And so BNI, without getting too deep into the weeds, beats it every week, typically. And it's structured, and they start on time, and they end on time. Takes about an hour and a half. Most uh, folks eat lunch. And the purpose of being there is, yes, we're all friends, and we like to see each other and catch up on how we're doing. But the bigger purpose is to uh, show up, represent our businesses to each other, learn more about each other and their businesses, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, pass qualified referrals, good, warm leads to other people to say, hey, I don't just have a plum- plumber that I used five years ago. Here's his number. No, I know Joe Schmo, and Joe has, you know, he's come out and fixed three of my toilets for me and fixed a plumbing leak, and he's terrific, and I referred him to three people I know. That type of uh, warm... Uh, qualified handoff of one person to another who needs something versus someone who's providing it it is really what's unique about BNI. Um, A couple other things that are unique about BNI um, is the uh, amount of support that the entity itself, BNI Corporate, offers uh, their members. I mean, you could spend six months and read a different article or listen to a different podcast or complete a different BNI University uh, training course uh, and do something new every day, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of education. I mean, the none of us were really taught how to network. You know, I went to Indiana University School of Business. I was a marketing major, one of the top 10 business schools in the country. But I didn't learn about networking. I didn't learn about referrals. I didn't learn about building a network of mutually beneficial referral partners. So there is a ton of education that our members can access. And even each of our chapter meetings weekly have a component that's designed to be education. But yeah, if you're if you're a junkie of lifelong learning, people really will like BNI because you it'd be hard to exhaust the resources. Let's put it that way. You'd have to spend a lot of time. 
Yeah, and they are always perfecting the process, improving it, making it more efficient. I'll give an example. The app, the BNI app, I, I'm in the tech space. I deal with apps all the time, right? There is not a finer app that I've ever used that's wow. yeah, that's better than the BNI app. And it continuously gets updates and enhancements and added functionality. I remember old timers like you and I, we used to have to fill, fill out if I want to refer you business, I had to f find a referral slip and write your name on it and my name and the customer's phone number and what they needed and all that. And I had to hang on to it and submit it weekly at the meeting and pass it into a book, all that kind of stuff, right? Oh yeah. Now in 30 seconds or less, you can pull up an app and not just pass a referral uh, or give someone thank you for giving you business to someone's in your group. You could find somebody in Australia and do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a worldwide network. You can put in a keyword that said, I'm looking for people that do it, that do marketing in Florence, mm -hmm. Italy, and you'd find them right on the app in a touch of a button. Yeah, and the amount of support that BNI gives uh, their members, uh, the ongoing education, the exclusivity is a big feature for me too. I show up every week to my particular chapter, and I'm the only IT guy. I'm not competing with two other people trying to sell computers or networking or you know software support that kind of thing um, one of the many things that's unique about it is I'm that guy you know and so I don't have to worry about competition the person sitting next to me who might be in commercial banking doesn't have to worry about someone someone else competing with them if you do want to get involved and the ch chapter you have your eye on already has a seat you can either a go, go to the wonderful BNI website or use the app to search for other chapters um, how many chapters roughly are in the BNI, Tennessee? We have about 80. Okay, 80. Three and, then, states. and then this kind of Kentuckiana area, where are we, around 25, 30, something like that? Exactly. Okay. About, about in the low 20s. So you can use the website, you can use the app to find other chapters. You can even see their roster. Sure. And you can say, oh, well, they don't have that, that plumber seat filled. I'd like to go visit them and see if they're a good fit for me because I'm a plumber looking to grow my business. Well, that exclusivity of BNI actually funnels my, fuels my current role in BNI. That's what I was getting ready to segue to. So let's talk about that. Well, first of all, let's talk about your initial experience with BNI was to just basically enhance your ability to raise funds for the, um, was it the Kids Center at the time? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was invited by a friend of mine who was a life coach. She was part of a Thursday, 7 a.m. chapter. So imagine mm. going to a business meeting at 7 a.m. This was in February, so it was dark, it was cold. I'm just hitting REM sleep at 7 a.m. Exactly. So. <laughs> so I walked into a firehouse. Uh, this fire station actually happened to have a really good conference room where they would train the firefighters and stuff like that, and this group met, and it was electric. I like to say it was on fire, but that's too much of a pun for a fire station, right? Okay. It was <laughs> we'll say it's electric. Yeah. And it wasn't because of the coffee. It was it was just an energy that was palpable. And at that time, as you said, I was representing a nonprofit. And if you've ever been involved in building a nonprofit, what you're really looking for is people who will become advocates, right? If they like your cause, they'll do whatever they can to help it. It's mm -hmm. not always money. Sometimes it's, you know, the old time talent treasure. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, this is a little different. It's a little, not the way most nonprofits think of raising money. But if I could become sort of the pet charity of that group, everybody who wanted to would sort of get on board with me. And mm -hmm. it was really nothing short of miraculous for us. I had wow. a lot of fun doing it. It was a game changer for our kids. We got, of course, donations. I, we had a future board chair that came. He was a, worked for a roofing company, but became a volunteer, became a board member, was the chair of our board all kinds of things that benefited us. So yeah, that was my first exposure to BNI. And because BNI has that exclusivity back in the day when I, I've got a little gray on me, David. So it was many years ago, 17. In our market, I was unique. I was the only nonprofit. So I used to visit all the chapters. They didn't mind me coming because I wasn't competition. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of looking for the very active people in the room that maybe would want to be introduced to our cause and learn about us. And maybe they would be promote, motivated to help us in some way. That's probably how I ended up working for BNI is I kind of knew the whole city and kind of it kind of got into my blood. And it's a little different because honestly, up until then, my dad worked in corporate America. I kind of chose to go into the nonprofit sector because it was almost like the opposite of business. You know, it was like instead of profit, it was working for good. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was kind of that lifelong save the world, change the world uh, nonprofit person. We need and those I, folks. And I've often asked myself, so what is it that drew me to BNI? And it's their core philosophy is givers gain. So it, it is a group of people that show up on a regular basis 100% to make money. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. But they do so in a way that's all oriented towards giving, mm -hmm. which is exactly what nonprofit work is, right? It's like helping other people. So 
everybody who really is a, an advocate of the program is not there to make money. They're there to help other people. And they know if they do that, they'll make money. It's kind of like one begets the other. Mm -hmm. And so it took me a few years looking back to be like, well, why did this BNI thing resonate with me if I'm this nonprofit guy? Well, it's because if it's a bunch of givers, a bunch of people who want to help others. And today it's really exciting because that was back in the day. Today we've got nonprofits in not all of our chapters, but I would say over half. It's really taking on steam and we're getting more and more people, which excites me Mm -hmm. because then I'm changing multiple organizations that each have their own unique mission. They're all benefiting by plugging into a BNI chapter. So it's really fun. Is it a BNI policy yet to for each chapter to sponsor the membership of a nonprofit or is it just kind of a common practice right now? Um, It's not a policy. I mean, because of we're in the post kind of the winding down or whatever you call this related to COVID when that happened, it was obviously an upsetting factor for businesses. Many businesses had to close, had to really reexamine and nonprofits were hit hard by that. So right now, we're, our local franchise is doing something to help nonprofits uh, with the cost, mm-hmm. but typically it's just like any other business. And that's kind of part of the model. Instead of a nonprofit coming in and saying, oh, we'll sponsor you. No, we want it to be the exact opposite. We want you to pay just like everybody else because it's a value proposition for you. The game. Yeah. yeah, like I was a member for 10 years. My executive director never had a problem with the related financial cost because the return on investment was astronomical. So we almost, it's almost the opposite of that. We don't want to just sponsor the nonprofits. We want to make it valuable enough that they're more than willing to pay. Yeah. And so you remember for how many years before you took the next step to, uh, was it an executive director or? Um, I was, uh, I was the local area director, area director. on a part-time basis. Um, and I was a member for about 10 years before that. So the okay. local area director is a kind of a part-time person. It's typically somebody who's a member, usually has their own business as well, but they work for the franchise to provide that support you talked about to really help the chapters grow, to help them strategize, to come around and do presentations and trainings and help on the back end with administrative stuff. Every business has its back end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I had that role. And then that exclusivity we talked about earlier is a real driver for BNI growth because there are certain professions that if you wanted to be part of BNI, you couldn't get in because they're always full. Mm-hmm. And the minute they would open, like if somebody retires, they'll be full the next week. Realtor, banker, mortgage person, et cetera, the core. Yeah, we actually have an acronym. We call it the firm. It's the financial advisor. That's the F. The I is insurance. The R is realtor. And the M is mortgage. The I love firm. that. Yeah. The and firm so, four. Yeah. So those people can never forget to be an I chapter. And that's usually, not always, but the traditional uh, usual suspects that say, okay, well, how do I start my own? And so back when I was the area director, I helped a few people start chapters. My life, David, is like that person who goes to the Cub Scout meeting, and by the time it's over, somehow I'm the den leader. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- uh, that, that's my story. And so they said, well, would you like to help us launch chapters? And so I did that on a part-time basis for many years. And about a year ago, I, that's all I do full-time now. So I work with the team in our three-state area who takes, I like to say, the poor, tired, huddled masses that yearn for B&I but mm-hmm. can't find a seat, yeah. and we help them start their own chapter. And it's, it's really fun because it's very entrepreneurial. It's not easy, as you can imagine, because you have to build it from the ground up, person by person. You have to get people in some cases that are able to see the vision of what you're building, like the finished house, even though you're showing them a piece of land or a slab of concrete. They Mm -hmm. have to be able to see the future and and see the value, even though right now we're talking to them about a 20-person group, but but we only have two or three. So there's some challenges to that, but it's really fun, and you meet the most interesting people. I was at a meeting about an hour ago, the group that I'm working with to form a new chapter invited a guest. He was a drumming coach. Mm. I don't think I've met somebody who's a drumming coach before. And he was super excited by the meeting because he thought, wow, how many people know an aspiring musician out there? They could refer them to me. And when I talked to him after the meeting, he said getting one client from the group would more than recoup his cost for the year. And I said, I said, well, you know what? If your goal is to get one client in a year, please don't apply. We want you to have much higher goals than that. Yeah. We want you to multiply your investment. And that brings up a concept of the, the concept of cross-chapter activity. It's not just that he's going to get referrals and hopefully get relationships from the group that's forming. 
can you think of any other drummers you've ever heard of in any BNI group? So if anybody, anybody in Louisville, Kentucky, the greater, you know, the region, Middle Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana is looking for a drummer, he's not limited to business just from his immediate group he's in, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of businesses, especially today's economy where people work across state lines where you're, maybe you're some kind of coach, maybe you're a life coach and you can take clients from all over the world. So Mm -hmm. yes, Lots of our members may take advantage of that. And the neat thing about BNI members is pretty much to a person, if you looked on that app and you found another IT person that was, say, in Phoenix, and you reached out to them and said, hey, I'm a BNI member, and I know you are too. Would you like to do a one-to-one and get to know each other? They'd probably say yes. Absolutely. They're very open to that. They're always wanting to meet new people. So yes, this drummer guy, I mean... I think if you live in L.A., everybody is a screenwriter. If you live in Nashville, everybody is an inspiring musician. And our franchise is based out of Nashville. So, yeah, it it just I'm always surprised about that connectivity that we're all connected. And B&I really makes you realize that they have a concept that they train in a lot of B&I that there's an area of your brain that they call the reticular activator. And most people are like, what is that? And the way I heard it explained to me, and that's how I teach it to people, is it's the part of your brain that never notices a red Toyota Camry until the day you buy one. And then you see them everywhere. Then you see I love them that. everywhere. I want to yeah. write that down, the reticular activator. Yeah, so my son is a Jeep owner, and uh, I never knew that that was a whole group of people. Like, he has a Wrangler, and I guess when you pass another person that has a Wrangler, they put two fingers up and they kind of greet each other. It's this whole subculture. But I never really noticed Jeeps until he had one, and now everywhere I go, I'm like, gosh, everybody has a Jeep. So the same thing works with networking. You never really think of opportunities to get your friend who's a roofer a job. But then every time there's a hailstorm, you start to think of them, you know, mm-hmm. it's, that, it's that. So our members get trained of how to kind of tune their radar. And, and that's the other thing that's a neat outcome is most of our members become the go-to person in their network because they're like, hey, that group you're in, mm. I'm thinking about putting a fence in my backyard. Do you have anybody that does fences? Because they know that you're part of this network and that you've, you're, we call it the I got a guy or these, I got a gal, either one person. person, Yeah. Yeah. I got a person just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. I got a guy, gal. Um, You become the center of your network. So people start to realize that you're part of this group that has basically solutions and everybody has needs, you know, whether it's on your business level, whether it's your personal level. And that's the other crazy thing about BNI is the diversity. Mm. You know, most people in their professional experience aren't part of a a club or an organization or a community because it really does become a community, you know, from being in a chapter that's so diverse. It's not that often that an estate planning attorney sits next to a chiropractor on one side and on the other side there's a painter. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You know, most painters don't hang out with estate planning attorneys and most estate planning attorneys don't hang out with chiropractors. Mm -hmm. So you have a real diversity of perspective in a given chapter. And our chapters in our region probably average about 23, 24 people. Um, They they vary by country. Like if you go to the chapters in Asia, some of them have like 120 members in their chapter or larger. Wow. Yeah. So a couple of points about BNI. You mentioned... um, sitting next to or across from someone you might not, might not otherwise typically interact with, you can rub elbows with some really successful, interesting, accomplished people at these meetings. And I think the Bible mentions uh, uh, two swords sharpening each other kind of thing. You can learn. I know I certainly have, and I'm, I'm sure you have too. That's one benefit. Another one I wanted to mention, this is no disrespect to chambers of commerce and uh, other other networking groups. I challenge anyone to find one in anywhere near as good as, as BNI. You, you go to your local chamber meeting and half the people are there for the drink special, the other half are there for dating and all that kind of thing. I'm not knocking that. It has its place, right? Absolutely. But you show up to BNI, man. You know, it's not rigid and, you, you know, we don't have any fun kind of thing, but we are there to execute a plan every week. Every meeting is typically an hour and a half. We like to say we start on time and we end on time to respect everyone's time. Um, another thing, too, I tell people, and we can talk about the cost if you want to, when I'm, I'm trying to sell someone on the idea, which I'm not a hard sell guy, I'll just say, look, here's product A. I think it does X, Y, and Z. If you like it, great. If not, fine. What I will say about BNI is the financial investment, in my opinion, personally, pales in comparison to the time investment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at, in my opinion, a minimum of three hours a week. Correct. Uh, just to get the, uh, the full effect out of it and to get your wheels turning in terms of building relationships with other people, not just during the meeting, but outside the meeting. We like to do one-to-ones and that kind of thing. Um, so I wanted to mention that. Um, 
those couple of things. Can you talk about those? Yeah, you mean in terms of the return on investment or the yeah. time commitment? My membership's paid for by January 31st every year. And I'm a small ticket guy. Like, I don't, I don't do $10,000 jobs. My average ticket's, I think, under 500 bucks. Right. So when you add that up, that's two, um, you know, four typical jobs, closed business, net profit in the first month, and the rest is all profit for the rest of the year. Think, yeah. of, think about how that could be to somebody listening to the show that's a big ticket person, someone installing pools or uh, selling houses, right? They get big checks. That's a huge return on investment, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about other forms of marketing, you think about at traditional print advertising, you think about online, you think about maybe being on the radio or TV. They're all great things. Hiring a salesperson, there's all great things that you could do, and they all have their effectiveness in marketing. Compared to those things, how much you cost to run a radio spot or a TV spot or hire a salesperson for a 12-month period, the BNI cost is pretty minuscule, you know. Yeah. And and really, the biggest thing I like to reiterate with people is it's kind of like you get out what you put in. So it's, And it also varies by business. There's some people that don't have to work very hard because everybody they know needs a blank. And some people, I don't think everybody needs a drumming coach, but everybody probably needs car insurance. You know, so some seats you don't have to work quite as hard for people top of mind to be able to find someone that needs a quote on their auto insurance versus finding someone that might want to work with a life coach, right? Those members have to work a little differently to find referrals. But as you said, one referral for them. And when people talk about how many referrals to pay their membership, I always tell people, if your goal is to make your money back, please don't apply. Mm. That's not our. That's not the goal we set for you. We measure and track everything. We're kind of uh, very structured, you know, so much so that for some people, we're not their cup of tea. Mm -hmm. But we track everything. You know, like you said, you put it in the app. If I send you a piece of business and you make $200, you turn it in for me and you record that. We call it thank you for close business, as you know, for the listener. Um and, and we track all that and we add it up. So to give you, to give the listener a big perspective, in a year's time in our region, which again is about 1,400 members in three states, we record about $80 million of transactions that pass between members. If you do the math and divide it out, this is a math podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least in by title. Um, it's about over $50,000 in revenue per seat. And if you take the number of referrals that went into that 80 million, it's about $1,400 per single referral. So, you know, the numbers are there. What I like to tell people is there's going to be a BNI meeting this week in 80 countries, nearly 11,000 times. It's pretty proven that it works. The yeah. only question is, is it right for you? Yeah. Do, do you want to be a part of it? But but does it work or not? Obviously, 11,000 thousand chapters around the world wouldn't be meeting weekly if it didn't. Yeah. Something else I wanted to add to the conversation is how we do have a structure to the meeting to how a group should form and the rules and so forth. But BNI also gives the people who run those groups, the leadership team, a little leeway to kind of uh, do things a little bit differently if they, they don't follow in lockstep with every one of the, you know, suggestions. One thing I think I think you probably run into in your new role is the flexibility involved, right? After COVID, you can form a completely online group if that's your group's preference, right? You can take a hybrid approach. Can you mention some of those examples of flexibility and group forming and group uh, adapt ad 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 adaptability in real time? Can you talk about that? Because I'm sure, you, excuse me, I have a slight speech impediment sometimes. I'm sure you've gotten a front row seat to that, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, BNI has seven core values, and one of them is traditions plus innovation. Okay. And like a lot of businesses, the pandemic forced us to innovate pretty quickly, mm. right? So imagine, let's let's think for the listener. You're an organization that has these chapters around the world, and they meet face-to-face -face every week, and it's going really well. And then there's a global shutdown where nobody can meet face-to-face. -face. What in the world do you do? I wasn't sure what we would do. I definitely wasn't sure how we would start brand new groups, right? What are we going to do? Do we take some time off? It was literally amazing. I mean, I do have to give BNI at the worldwide level credit because they turned on a dime and said, let's develop a virtual version. Literally, our group didn't miss a single meeting. We had one week to train groups on how to do it. So it was via Zoom and they basically said, okay, if we do the meeting in person, ABC, here's the points. Let's do that same meeting, but do it virtually. And mm -hmm. maybe there's some nuances to that. How do we keep people engaged virtually? And I'm sure the first few weeks it was a little rough, don't get me wrong, but it was there. We were mm -hmm. open for business mm -hmm. and we switched. And it was, and, and as a result of that, some people, their wheels started spinning and they said, wow, not only is this decent, 
I might think it's better. Mm-hmm. I might think, you know, if BNI is built on relationships, you and I can sit down and have a cup of coffee. We can get to know each other on a one-to-one basis. But the group interaction that we have once a week, what if we kept that online? Mm-hmm. Now, that is 100% not everybody's cup of tea. Don't get me wrong. But we have a couple of groups right now that are fully online. They have literally never met as a group in the structured BNI agenda. Most of those online-only groups tend to have social functions, little after hours, you know, happy hour, stuff like that, so they can feel that bonding that even introverts need, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. that that one-to-one. And then the middle, so we right now where we are as we're coming out of the pandemic is we have the traditional groups that meet every week in person. And then we have the other end of the spectrum, the totally online groups. And then there was a middle idea, there's kind of three flavors, which is what you said, the hybrid group, which basically says we meet every week, what about the first week of the month we'll do in person? We'll get, you know, the huggers can be happy, right? You will have that experience. But then the other weeks we'll use the online platform. Because for some people, especially think of the different markets, like, you know, some markets, depending on traffic and travel time, you might be looking at 45 minutes each way to your weekly BNI meeting. If they did those meetings online, that would cut an hour and a half out of your day one one time a week. Mm-hmm. Also, think of the cost. If you traditionally met at a, at a facility where you had to do rent, maybe you provided a nice lunch that was 15 or $20, now you're meeting online, you've got your brown bag at your desk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, And then the, the third thing about the hybrid groups is sometimes people who travel for work couldn't be at their regular meeting if it's right. in person. If my meeting is in Louisville and I'm traveling to Phoenix, I can't be at my meeting. But if I'm part of a hybrid group and I'm in Phoenix and I'm in a hotel room and I can zoom into my group, that's not an absence. I can still connect with people. I can pass business to other members. They can pass it to me. So for some people, I actually heard Dr. Meisner, our founder on a podcast that said he thinks for some people, it's kind of the best of both worlds. They get the efficiency and the newness of the online interaction, but they get the in-person. So again, we have traditional, we have hybrid, and then we have totally virtual. But a couple of years ago, we only had one style. So yeah. it's that innovation. Yeah. I wanted to mention that with my specific experience with my group, like I said, we didn't miss a single meeting. I mean, within seven days, not only had they given us the green light to go virtual, virtual exclusively, they didn't just say, oh, okay, go figure it out. They had a pre-configured uh, presentation format in a ve- very nice, polished, functional uh, PowerPoint that they gave everybody. That did. They didn't have to do that, that for us. They could have asked us to do that or contribute or whatever. And think about the man hours and the effort that goes into doing that for you know 80 chapters right throughout the region. Um, and we didn't miss a beat. Of course, there were a few growing pains here and there, but we were still doing business. We were still meeting each other. Personally, I was asked to run it. Um, uh, because obviously what I do and I was occupational hazard, right? That's fine. I was happy to do that. You know what my answer is? I can't always do everything BNI asks of me, but I try to the majority of the time. And my reasoning for that, I always tell people BNI has done way more for me than I could ever do for it. And Mm -hmm. I mean that sincerely. And it's done, I've done a lot for it. So that's saying how much it's done for me, right? So I just wanted to give a lot of, uh, a lot of props to yourself, the other members of leadership, Clay and Reed, um, the Morgans, uh, sitting at the top of things for, um, you know, for uh, being so agile and nimble and responding in real time and supporting us. Uh, I think that's, um, I think that's worth mentioning. I also wanted to mention too, um, I have two team members, you know, David Hastings, yeah. found him at a BNI meeting. He came and visited my chapter like uh, 13 years ago. I'm, I'm, Almost immediately after I joined, yeah. and they came to me. Uh, he and uh, came to me before the meeting respectfully, which I always think is a classy move, right? I wouldn't require somebody to do that, but he said, "Hey, I'm your, I'm in your space. Can I visit your chapter?" I was like, "Sure, I'm not threatened by that." You know, I kept an open mind to it. Fast forward 13 years later, he runs our entire commercial side of our business. I mean, he's one of my closest friends, and we work great together. And then recently, uh, Jim Holnagel did a security system for a client that needed tech help, called me out, did work for them. Their nephew got burned out in corporate IT and was looking to work with somebody. And now we have our third team member and he came from BNI. So BNI has its fingerprints all over uh, my personal life, my professional life, and even this podcast. I think uh, three out of four of every guest we've had so far has been directly or indirectly related to our relationships through BNI. Uh, so I just wanted to give that plug. Um can you talk more about um, if someone, obviously, you, you mentioned the firm, financial, investment, real estate, and was it mortgage? 
Yeah, financial insurance, real estate, and mortgage. Yep. Insurance, real estate, and mortgage. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk more about what that looks like? Like, as you said, those people have virtually no chance of joining a group, or if someone leaves the group, they're competing against 25 other applicants type scenario, right? Can you talk about what the process looks like to form a new group? And before you do that, I want to thank you and the other people who do that because without people being willing to start a group and they might have three or four members at first, right? Right. Without them willing to do that, I don't get the benefits of the group that I'm in right now, which also probably started in a similar way at some point a long time ago. Can you talk about what folks, um, what that process looks like, um, encourage people to, um, get over the potential obstacles of that and also the the upside of doing that and hanging with it and getting established and rolling down the road. Can you talk about that from your your seat, from your position? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like everything in BNI, there's a playbook and there's a a manual to follow and there's procedures where they don't just kind of say, hey, you want to start a group, why don't you wing it? That's not a BNI. That's not how we roll. We roll Mm -hmm. with a manual. So our process is kind of divided into three steps. Once we get a founder that kind of says, okay, I'm ready to take the plunge and I want to build my own chapter, there's a thing called the interest phase where they put together 10 people. Um, and those are people who have been, you know, learned about, in some cases they already knew about BNI or they were brand new and we took them through a process to where they felt they knew enough that they wanted to commit. And so you get 10 people who have applied, they've been vetted, they've been approved. You know, that's a unique part about BNI is you can't join, you have to apply. And there's going to be a vetting process to make sure it's a mutual fit both ways. And it's a highly credible person because, you know, when you work by referral, that's a high stakes game, right? Mm -hmm. Two people's reputation are on the line. If I refer you to my friend and your reputation is on the line, but so is mine. Mm -hmm. If you do a great job, I look like a hero. If you mess it up, it comes back on me, right? So once we get those 10 people that have been vetted, they've submitted the financial commitment to BNI, then we move to the second step. In the second step, that group starts to hold its own meetings, just like a regular BNI chapter. They're once a week, they're 90 minutes long. And they're very parallel to a regular meeting. They're just slightly different. We change a few of the elements because the best analogy I can give to people is imagine you've been hired to coach a college volleyball team and you're really excited to get out on the court, but you don't have any players and you need to get to a threshold of, I don't even know for college volleyball, let's just say it's 14 players to mm-hmm. field the team. In the case of our groups, they, they need to get to about 20 members to charter the group and go live. So in that second step, they're holding meetings to train the members, to build relationships, but also each week they invite visitors because they have those different categories. We don't have a CPA, we don't have a roofer, we don't have a chiropractor yet. And the guests that they're inviting are being asked to consider if they see a fit for them to occupy those seats. That process takes about eight weeks. And in the eight weeks, the group's supposed to grow from 10 to about 20, 25 Then we kind of pause with the inviting people. And instead of building the team, we learn how to play the game, Mm -hmm. right? So we move into a training mode. It's another eight weeks. We're teaching people how you're, how to be a good member, how to build a good team, uh, you know, how to build a good chapter culture. We have a curriculum that we do each week where we're bringing, as you know, in a normal 90 minute BNI agenda, about 20 minutes of that is taken up by two members doing a presentation about their business, kind of a deep dive. We call it the feature presentation. But in our forming process, that 20 minutes is done by myself or somebody on the team that's teaching them an aspect of BNI. And so we train them. And then sort of the crescendo or the culmination of that eight weeks is a kickoff event. Because even though at that point they might have 24 members, they look at the sort of the traditional org chart of BNI and they identify, gosh, you know, we've got a family law attorney we don't have a personal injury attorney or a business attorney. So that's a that's an open seat that we would target. And so this group of 20-some people plans a big kickoff, and they invite as many visitors as possible. Some of them will see a fit for B&I, but all of them will benefit by just coming. It's sort of, it's kind of like a grand opening, like a ribbon cutting. It's a, it's a party, and then they typically add a few more. And then they're kind of done. They've become a real chapter Although we've kind of learned from experience that we stick with them for year one, Mm -hmm. because I like to say year one can sometimes be like the blind leading the confused if they don't know any better. And there's some pretty predictable ways they could, they just don't know enough to know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I stay involved with the new chapters through year one. If we do the whole process perfectly at the end of the year, when everybody's invited to renew their membership, they're so satisfied they'd have a hundred percent renewal. Okay. Now reality of BNI is that never happens because 
people change jobs, they move out of town. There's always there's always a little bit of turnover, but if we do it right, very few people turn over because they're so satisfied and they're getting such value that they'd never imagined. They become really a lifelong part of the program. So yeah, three steps, get to 10, get to 20, go through training, then the confetti drops in the balloons. I was just at an event last week uh, in Evansville, Indiana. They're called the Network Ninjas. Okay. They have 20 members in their core group. They hosted their kickoff with 67 visitors. Wow. So there were, between the members, a few of us BNI people, and the visitors, there were 90 people in the room. Wow. It was a party. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's really impressive. Um, you mentioned earlier the philosophy BNI being giver's gain. I'm sure you're familiar with the great Zig Ziglar. He said, you can get everything you want in life as long as you help enough people get what they want. Absolutely. That, that really stuck with me. Um, the vetting process for BNI is really impressive. You have to give, is it three um, uh, references, people who've worked with you, uh, know you and have done business with you um, to, to to do that. You mentioned uh, membership is not guaranteed. It's also renewal is not guaranteed, right? Correct. If you're not showing up to the meeting and meeting the attendance requirements and participation requirements, part of that turnover is just folks who weren't a good fit. And for, for the best interest of the group and that person, their membership after the year or two years that they were signed up for it is not necessarily renewed, right? Absolutely. There's no tenure in BNI. So you yeah. you get into the group based on your qualifications. You stay in the group based on qualifications. And I think we're not everybody's cup of tea because we have so many rules and regulations and so much structure. A lot of people, that's just not who, what they like. Yeah. We're a weird oxymoron. What I like to say is a lot of BNI's community is made up of entrepreneurs. And many entrepreneurs hate being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Like somebody told me once, they said, I am unemployable, which means I can't work for anybody else, right? Yeah, I'm kind of in that boat. <laughs> but you've got this group that on one hand hates being told what to do. On the other hand, they follow a system with so much rules and so much structure. As long as it's their system. Yeah. And I always ask people, it's like, why is that trade-off? And people are like, well, because it works. That accountability, that structure is what, if you just had a group of people and you said, show up whenever you want, contribute whenever you want, do whatever. Some people would be right on it. They'd be there every week, and they'd, but a lot of people wouldn't. Yeah. So the structure and the accountability is what, it's not a guarantee, but it's more likely to produce a high level of results. And you also get people who are serious about it, right? It'd yeah. be like if you were on a softball team that met on the weekends and you wanted to win the city championship, but everybody else in your team just wanted to joke around and go have a beer afterwards. Yeah. That might be frustrating yeah. for you, right? A lot of our chapters, like we want people that want to want to win the city championship and they kind of attract that. So that renewal thing you mentioned is like you don't just get a seat and then once you have it, it's yours for life. You have to be a contributor because otherwise you're taking a seat that someone else in your industry might come who's much more engaged with the group. Yeah. And it's in your best interest, too. Right. If you're not a good fit for the group, you should leave the group. Right. And some people just need the the help in doing that. I like the accountability involved in that. You know, Dave Ramsey says all the time, no one accidentally wins the Super Bowl, right? I mean, right. that's a very specific plan with very specific benchmarks and, uh, you know, hours you have to put in and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I want to give another example of, of a forming group that I'm very impressed with. You may or may not know this, Justin Siegert, the guy I recruited to come work with me. Mm-hmm. We just joined Leading Louisville. Were you familiar oh, yeah. with that? I did not know that, but I, I helped start that group. As, yeah. Yep, and you're my guy, and I reached out to you when I was um, vetting him and considering the possibility of putting him in a group, which, by the way, for anyone adding a team member or starting a business, I can't think of a better way to get uh, a kick-started than joining a BNI group. And so that group is so impressive. Uh, they have the hybrid approach. Mm-hmm. They were starting out doing, uh, was it only online? And then they went to one in-person a month, Yeah. and now they're doing every other week. Okay. Yeah, so he just advised me of that today. He went to the meeting. They meet uh, Thursdays at noon, virtually half the month, and then um, they have a physical uh, venue for the other meetings. So I wanted to congratulate you on that. One thing that's cool about that group is, for me, uh, for me, starting up, there's an investment cost in team members that I bring on, and BNI is one of those. And it, it basically cut the cost of an annual membership in half because they don't collect dues because when they go to the venue, people just bring whatever they want. So that was very attractive to us. Mm-hmm. And also Justin is used to working in the corporate space and uh, he was just given a task, go do it. And there's not a lot of interaction. So his social skills just need a little time to get used to interacting with folks and that kind of thing. And so for him, it was a big relief when we found that group because he was able to get his feet wet, so to speak, in front of his computer in a less intimidating, you know, f- physical 
networking environment. So for many reasons, we're very excited about that chapter. One other thing that impressed me is how quickly that chapter sped sped up, basically during the eye of the storm of COVID, right? I mean, it started, what, six months after COVID hit? I think so. And when they first started, many of them had not been in a room together. They, they again, they, they clicked on a link. They went into a little Zoom yeah. room with those Brady Bunch squares. Yeah. And they built trust with each other and they passed referrals and they built relationships and they built their team from, you know, one person who was the founder to about 20 members. And then they had their kickoff and they did the whole thing without ever being in a room together. And they have a really young, fresh vibe and energy about them. You know, we're really excited about joining that chapter. So. I'm getting older, David. Everybody's young. <laughs> I'm not far behind you. So, you know, one thing I tell people uh, when I try to recruit folks to come check out BNI or just be a visitor, I'm like, you know, I really want to get to know you but I really want to know who you know, right? Right. So anybody, literally anybody, even somebody who's already in a different chapter or tried BNI out and didn't like it is a great person to recruit and just come check it out. You may have no, uh, um, in, you may have no uh, intention of joining a BNI chapter, and that's fine. We still, I bet you there's five people you know who might, right? So bef before you leave, you know, if you don't want to join, that's fine. But hey, I'm sure you know somebody who, a decision maker, a professional, a salesperson, entrepreneur like yourself that you mentioned, um, that would be, you know, a great fit just to come and check it out. Uh, obviously, we like people to apply and become members, but we don't go for the hard sell. This is what BNI has done for us and can do for you. We'd like you to consider applying, right? Well, at the heart of it, the 90-minute meeting, the hour-and-a-half meeting that happens every week is just a really well-run, energized networking event. Mm -hmm. It has people in the room who are members. And it has a component of it that other people might say, I'd like to become a member, but it's not a membership recruitment event. It's a networking event. It has a lot of value and it's structured in a way that it's different than a lot of other networking events because yes, the first 15 minutes is standing around talking in small groups like most networking events, mm -hmm. but the rest of it is like networking on steroids. It's mm -hmm. like nothing you've ever seen if you've never been to one. And at, when you look down at your watch and they say it's time to go, you're like, wow, that was jam-packed with activity. So absolutely, somebody who's a retiree, somebody who works for corporate America, somebody who would never join could still really benefit by coming. They might make some amazing connections. They might even say, hey, I've got to call that person over there because I really like their style. They said they do decks. I've been thinking of putting a deck in my backyard. I'm going to give them some business, right? Mm -hmm. Or or how many people do you know that like they don't have a full-time thing, but they have a side hustle, right? Yeah. And coming to a meeting like that and meeting 30 people would be great for their side business. At the end of the day, BNI is about relationships. So like, yes, I think some of our chapters very narrow-mindedly think the only person I can invite to a meeting is somebody who might become a member. And that's not really what it was intended for. Absolutely, we're always trying to entertain new partners that can join us. But we just want people to come in the room and have a good time with us because they're going to benefit. It's not. I've never had a person at the end of the meeting be like, well, I'll never get that hour and a half back. That was a waste of time. Yeah. They're going to have a good time regardless. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, Steve Bosco, did you ever meet him? Yeah, of course. Yeah, massive uh, locally owned construction company. I mean, just a big time player in that space, right? Yeah. Did he ever tell you why he joined our group? I don't think I've heard that story. He visited as a guest. I, for I forgot who, who invited him. And he left that meeting and he, he said, I want to join this group just so I can experience the energy in this group and take it back to my office and my employees. Oh, that's cool. I yeah. love that story. Yeah, this guy didn't need referrals from us. I mean, he built main event on Blankenbaker, and he's doing massive, massive projects with probably hundreds of millions of dollar-sized budgets and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. But he came, he experienced it for himself, and he said, I, I need that energy to recharge myself and also to take back to my people in my office. So I thought that was really cool. So there is really just... You know, visit a chapter. There's no harm in it. You'll get fed. You'll learn some things and just go from there. And there won't be any ambiguity about it, right? You'll right. know if BNI is a good fit for you or not, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We had someone else uh, join. I can't remember her name. I think she lasted about a year. She didn't want any business out of it. She just wanted to come and network with people and be able to offer professional services and products to the people that she knows to other people. It was, it was really interesting. So like you said... Those are two examples of kind of the diversity of the things you might not think about you'd run into uh, in a BNI meeting that uh, that I personally experienced. Yeah, that that idea of having the network is not something that's apparent to people when they first come. They think, oh, well, 
if I want to join this group, it's because I'm going to receive referrals and I'm going to make enough money to make it worth my while. That's totally a part of it. What they don't think is by being a part of it, I'm now going to have at my fingertips 20 or 30 people who are solution providers in all these different areas. So your your business is a perfect example. Let's say I work in the B2B, you know, business to business space and I'm a staffing company and I want to go meet with one of my clients and they're like, hey, Jim, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cancel our meeting today. Oh, yeah, that's OK. What's up? Well, our computers went down and our network was set up by our office manager's son and he's off at college and yeah. nobody has the password. <laughs> and and if you're a BNI, if you're not a BNI, you might be like, okay, well, we'll reschedule. What does the BNI member do? They say, well, who, you know what? Let me make a call to David yeah. Snyder. Let yeah. me see if he's got time. Let me have my IT person in my group come out and check out your network. Maybe we can help you out. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that person look to their customer? Like a hero, right? Yeah. Like you can basically save the day. And it's not really just to get business. I mean, if you think about it on one hand, it's to generate sales. On the other hand, that giver's gain it's to help people. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of people who are going through a divorce and all the different things where their life is up turned upside down and they really have needs, but they don't know who to trust and mm-hmm. they don't know who to turn to. So if you could help them with that situation and help them find a financial advisor, somebody to sell the house because there's now two houses that need to be dealt with, you're really doing a service to people. So that's mm-hmm. that that giver's gain philosophy of BNI is really kind of permeates through the people for whom BNI really clicks as more than just a generator of revenue, if yeah. that makes sense. So having that network of people, we as we said before, the I got a guy, the I got a gal, I got a person, that's a big benefit of BNI, and it kind of helps you stand out from your competition because most people, most people who do your yard work and are landscapers don't also know an estate planning attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a unique thing that had is not uncommon for BNI for your chiropractor to know somebody who is a business law expert. Right. Because they're in a BNI group with them. What's the what's the metaphor they used? It's about farming and not uh not hunting. Not hunting, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Establish that relationship, build a rapport, build trust, get to know that person, and then facilitate connections and problem solving, right? And yeah. you're adding value. I know I've, I always tell folks, I've got about 2,700 numbers in my phone. I meet and have met a lot of people and I'm happy. If somebody calls me looking for a plumber, I'll find them a plumber. You know, I, I, I enjoy that, but, but I also see the value it adds to my clients and my network too. When I do that, speaking of other things you can take home with you from the meeting uh, I've seen personally folks come in who were struggling with structure, being on time and uh, 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 building a, a plan and following it and sticking to it and meeting deadlines and so forth. And they've told me personally that coming to the meeting, going through the motions, being on time, uh, having the accountability in the form of the reporting and your numbers and all that stuff really helped them. They took it back to their business and it made them more profitable, less um, stressful, less stressed out and more um, productive and profitable. Yeah. Yeah, professional development is a huge part of BNI. You, when you, if you get a group of people and you say, "What's the best thing you've got out of this?" Very few people say the money, even yeah. though they make a bunch of money. They say a lot of other things, including public speaking. You know, what do they say? One of the biggest fears people have in life is public speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, every week in BNI, you stand up, and depending on the size of the group, you have maybe thirty to sixty seconds to kind of give a pitch of who you are and what you do. I've seen members that prior to BNI were deathly afraid. Like if they, do it. if they held the piece of paper, it would shake, you know, that just, it was traumatizing for them. Yeah. And now you can't get them to shut up. That's They're just right. <laughs> totally comfortable with doing it. I had a person once who was elected by her chapter when I was the area director to be their president, which means she had to run the meeting, kind of be the MC before the very first meeting. She had to go in the restroom and throw up. That's wow. how nervous she was. Like a year and a half later, she was recording commercials for her business. Outstanding. So the professional development is huge. And it also just, the knowledge base is amazing. So there's professional development, like those skills, like public speaking, being organized, things like that. But you're sitting around a group of, it's kind of like a support group for business owners. Like you're looking to hire somebody and somebody says, well, let me share what happened with us. And they share that expertise and that knowledge. So you really have a lot of people you can turn to. Professional development is a huge part of it, even down to like just marketing. I'm kind of surprised sometimes of some salespeople that seem to get up on Monday morning, get in their car, but they have no idea where they're going. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in BNI, it starts making you think about who's your target market. What's a better way for me to spend my time? I literally met someone a week ago who does health insurance and his primary way to market is to go door knocking. 
And I thought, okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's a tough way to do business, right? Just knocking on household doors and hoping somebody won't shut the door in your face and they'll actually talk to you and eventually buy from you. You know, how much better will it be for that person to get in a group where he's introduced to people who need health insurance by referral versus just going around and knocking on doors. So it's it helps you refine your marketing skills, yeah. not just your message, your focus, your target market, your approach to business. A lot of things happen, like with most business owners, when they start out, they'll take anybody as a client because they need revenue. But the more they get into their business, they start to choose the clients they really want to work with, mm-hmm. the ones they enjoy, the ones that are more profitable. There's nothing more fun for a business owner than to say, I fired a client today because that's not the kind of focus I want. And they were actually more stress for me than they were a benefit. Yeah. So a lot of people evolve that way in B&I as well. Yeah, that's great. You can find employees. You can help people find jobs by going there. Um, you mentioned two things that made, made me think about Jerry Seinfeld. You said, uh, give us your tired, your your huddle, all that stuff. Did you ever hear his bit where he said, can we be a little more selective? Give us your osteopaths and your your your, <laughs> your business attorneys, your neurosurgeons. Not your, your poor tired huddle yeah, masses. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. And then um, the second one was uh, public speaking. Did you hear that one? He said, when people were asked, they said that public speaking was the number one fear and death was second. So by that logic, you're better off being in the casket than giving the eulogy at a funeral. <laughs> Absolutely. I thought that was really funny. Well, Jim, we could talk about BNI uh, for a long time, but we do have kind of a, to make this palatable to the audience, kind of got to get moving, moving, moving on and wrap up the show here. Sure. But uh, before we do that, I, ju- um, I just wanted to uh, mention there's two reasons Jim's here today to promote hopefully his book and hopefully his podcast and his mission in help it, helping parents and persons struggling with disabilities to navigate that process, please reach out to Jim if you'd like to contribute to that, learn more about it. He'll be happy to talk to you about it. And then obviously BNI as a network, we're both big fans, obviously, and you can go to BNITennessee.com and you could spend a year there and learn something new every day. So um, feel free to do that. Uh, this segment of three questions is brought to you by our nonprofit, See Good to Be Good which aims to act as a source of hope, motivation, and inspiration to help folks achieve their dreams. Uh, We're now accepting donations to help fund our needs-based scholarship to help a young person pay for their education in the arts. If you'd like to help us, please let us know. The three questions are as follows. Why are you successful? Because of the people around me. Why are you happy? Because of my family. Finally, what obligation do you feel to help others? Well... I think just personally, and even with the job I do, it's wired into my DNA. I kind of get up in the morning to help other people. Brief brief and uh, poignant. I like it. Um, Mr. Rogers once said, there are three ways to to ultimate success. The first way is to be kind. The second way is to be kind. And the third way is to be kind. I like that. If you'd like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us for more information. I'd like to take a moment to thank the talented people that work behind the scenes to make this podcast happen. There's the effervescent producer, David Snyder, running audio and video, the intrepid David Snyder casting and scripting the show, and finally, the brilliant and gifted David Snyder editing and distributing the show online. I'd like to thank those fine folks for helping us out. And I'd like to thank our guests. Our, excuse me, I'd like to thank our guest, Jim Littlefield Dalmaris, for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. It's thank pleasure. you for... Thank you for joining us today, and thank you to the listeners and our sponsors for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful, and we'll see you real soon on a future episode of the Respect the Math podcast.